Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. And welcome back, Nightbirds. I'm really excited to present this episode to you. I spoke with Reverend Janglebones, a wizard, musician, a writer, a teacher of magical techniques for the elevation of ancestors in the land, and someone I'm glad to call my friend. We didn't really have a plan on what we wanted to talk about. We just let it rip. And we went to some places that I've really been wanting to go on this show. We talked about the nature of the Archons, MK Ultra, the importance of authenticity, performance and the creative process, the works of Tolkien, piercing the veil, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Reverend, welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. So before we uh, before we hit the record button, we were having a really good conversation, as always happens. <laughs> and talking about... What would you call that? Um. Uh, okay. Kind of the idea that, that in general, we were talking about the idea that a lot of our lives are spent on the internet and a lot of the way we share things with the people we choose to share things with, the ones we like actually like is on the internet and how we typically only like to share finished products there, which means things are heavily edited, um, you know, makeup and filters. And um, if you don't like something, you can just cut it out. You can edit most things, delete them if you change your mind. <clears throat> There's this uh, strange detachment from like the gritty stuff and the, the parts of life that you're like struggling to piece together. I guess that's that's like the core of it, but that kind of branches out into some different directions and whatnot. Yeah, and authenticity, right? Like, and one of the things we talked about was when I'm caring too much about the reception of this podcast, for instance, or like whatever piece of art I'm making, if I'm thinking too much, I'm getting in my own way, which is something I talk about a lot on here because it's something I have done a lot. <laughs> But it's actually like it's that is a concept that carries through a lot of spiritual work or whatever you want to call it. Like channeling, for instance, right? And I think that the creative process is is that. It is channeling. Like I am kind of interfacing with whoever it is I'm interfacing with in that moment. Like, you know, when you're in the zone writing. It's like you're plucking stuff from the ether or something's being whispered in your ear or something. Do you have that experience with that? Yeah, definitely. And and sometimes it's got like urgency to it. Sometimes you've got that feeling like like if I don't get this down, somebody else is going to. <clears throat> and, and it often happens that way. Yeah, yeah. And and that's 
that can also be a comfort. Like, like it's okay if I don't get around to this idea. It's going to still find its way into the world with or without me. It doesn't need me. But yeah, I like that. When you actually like, then you want to like lasso that shit and ride it into the world and show everybody that like you were the one brave enough to tame it or to to create it at least. Right. And so if I spend too much time self-editing while I'm writing it, and we're just gonna I'm just gonna keep going with this metaphor, but it really does apply to, to so much. <laughs> if I if I spend so much time self-editing it while I'm doing it, then it never gets done. And to some extent, I'm like dishonoring the spirit of the thing by trying to hide its warts. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think there's, there, there's definitely something to be said for having the finished product that you want. Sure. But I think there's also this gradient effect of like uh, how much of the field of what you are assuming other people want from you is pushing into that yeah and that's a total phantom that's not because that's so often okay so like you said it's my idea of what i think someone else might want from me it's like threefold not real it's, it's yeah <laughs> it, it's real when you buy into it but like i make it real yeah you're it's like you're walking along on a blank piece of paper and then like drawing rocks in front of yourself. Yeah, totally. And so we were talking about that in the, in the context of podcasting because you're a, a podcaster as well. Uh, <laughs> Very you talk, talk about your podcast. Do a little promo. Uh, I, yeah, sure. It's, it's still very new. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's called Soapbox with uh, Reverend Jangle Bones and Kurt Huggins. Kurt is a good friend of both of ours, actually, and he was just on this show recently, which was yeah, an excellent. <clears throat> and uh, and we basically we pick uh, it's just wizards talking about shit we like, and then um, so that's hopefully that unfolds and becomes something with shape over time. But right now we're basically just watching a movie or uh. You know, that's not just movies, potentially choosing an artist or playing a video game or um, reading a book and then um, getting together and just kind of talking about it. <clears throat> there will be spoilers all the time. Like it's assumed that you either don't care or that you're going to watch it or read it or whatever first. Uh, and then because we're both into magic, it's uh, it's inevitable that whatever it is that we love there's reasons we're pulled to those things that are like deeper in meaning and context. So the idea is to like kind of allow those things to just fall out of the conversation while we're talking about it. And then we get to expound on those things. Um, but you know, it takes a while to get your, your pace and everything. And, and I'm still like, I spent probably 12 years as a musician. Um, that was like my main focus worked at restaurants and coffee shops and just pursued music. I think I've written like 60 some original songs and that was a, a really wonderful time in my life where, uh, where I, I, I learned a lot about this very dynamic. Like it started off as like a desperation to write and play music. Uh, I needed to do it to stay sane, to express myself, to get some things out, to, to connect with others. 
um and the the surely the performance of it like and now looking back it's really interesting because i i believe that that ritual is inherently human and that we actually need it in our lives the same way we need our vegetables um unless you're keto and then like you know uh, meat steak uh <clears throat> smoothie but i think looking back that's what came that's what was happening there is i needed ceremony in my life and i loved music and that was a really nice way to have so so getting on stage that became the sort of ceremonial thing but then over time like i developed an audience and people that liked like i was kind of like local small town famous and uh and that that ended up affecting how i was like the place where i was creating was coming from over time um like basically not having your shit worked out you end up uh you end up straying when there's these these intensities and that's that's like what <clears throat> that experience all was it was a series of intense experiences being on stage is intense um being recognized in town on your way to work every day is intense um the writing process intense just all of it and of course that's all laced with like drugs and alcohol and um and then like it's only been in the past year after being away from music for four years completely that I've been wanting to actually get back into it again because I get without the drugs like I never learned to deal with performance anxiety without chemicals so I never actually like conquered that hurdle I just put band-aids on it until I looked like a mummy right. and then, when the band-aids all fall off because you're fucking gross and you're sweating out heroin, <laughs> like you realize like, Oh, I actually don't have any, uh, actual, uh, coping skills for that. It's just patchwork bullshit. It's just totally raw. It's like not having skin. Yes. And then, and then trying to like be more present again, everything was such an immediate emotional experience that it's, it's taken the last four years to get to the point where like, I could convince myself to be on a podcast or, you know, really want to actually start playing music again either. It's, it's really crazy how much it fucks you up when you fall into one of those holes. But, but I also still have the, that worry about like, what is it supposed to be? Are other people going to like it? <clears throat> like there's this part of me that's kind of split where I'm, I'm always like putting part of my consciousness in the corner of the room to watch what I'm looking like while I'm talking. And that's when I say the shit that's not funny, that's not clever, that's boring and off base. Uh, and I, you know, miss the mark. Like that's, that's when you're not on point. When you're on point, you're like, you're not fucking thinking about it. You're in the moment. You're, you're in flow. No yeah. Yeah. You're in the flow state. Yeah. I resonate with that a lot. Um, because I, I have a similar experience. Um, and I, I actually haven't thought about it this way until you said that, but I had the same experience with um, writing and, you know, just general social interactions too, right? Like I used those drugs to, to not give a shit to like, to get out of my own way. Right. And so it, I thought for the longest time that, it was those things that were helping me connect to the inspiration or to connect to the, to the creativity 
or that they were like somehow giving me that hmm. really it was like that connection has been there all along it just made me not give a shit but then it also kind of made me not give a shit about like anything it's like yeah. trying to remodel your house with a hand grenade like <laughs> if you need to blow out some walls it might be alright but like you know what I mean like you're gonna have to clean up some other shit too it's good for the demo work at least right <laughs> yeah totally We've got some confused fucking contractors, though. (laughs) (laughs) So that's cool. Um, I had a thought too when you were talking about your um, the premise of your podcast because I wanted to talk about uh, Morrowind a little bit, like as a subject for the podcast. Yeah, that would be a cool one, wouldn't it? Want to come on the show and talk about Morrowind? Yes. Hell yeah, dude! That stuff is like some of my favorite lore. And I try to explain it to people sometimes, you know, because it, it's what got me into uh, to Gnosticism and really to magic in general was like that Elder Scrolls lore because the dude that wrote a lot of it was he was putting his personal take on that shit into the into the myths of the game. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that would be really cool. I mean, I, we could that, do something different, but that was just an idea. No, no, I mean, I, I want I want like. Once we start having guests, which I imagine will be pretty soon, because I, I just I'm getting really excited about the idea. Like I, yeah, I'm I'm feeling like Kurt and I are starting to get our groove. I think a few more episodes, and it'll be like we're pretty solid. Let's bring somebody else in and make it more interesting. And but uh, but I want them to be able to kind of pick whatever they want, um, with the knowledge that we kind of have to do it. Um, yeah. but all we don't have a whole hell of a lot of. Like I have a lot of time right now, but Kurt doesn't necessarily. Yeah, so he can't play like the whole game of Morrowind. You mean like, <laughs> right, right? I mean, like he could probably play it for a while and then watch like a video that summarized all the lore because that's that's really what we'd be probably talking about. Um, yeah, but yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. You know, just a thought. I just have it on the brain lately. I, do, I haven't played a lot of video games lately because I feel like the UI gets burned into my dreams and stuff. Oh, man. You know? I do. Well, I, it's really weird. If I play too much video, like I, I, if I play too much, I dream in like a hyper-focused state where I wake up and I'm just like, oh, wide, wide awake and like my, my head's got all the energy in it. Yeah. Um, something I did notice was uh, something Gordon had in the Protection and Malefica course with the um, magnets. That really oh, helps yeah. like re your body after you've dealt with a lot of electronics, I found. Oh, yeah. I need to get back on that. That was really good. Yeah, really oh, good. Crazy stuff happened. This is just uh, for anybody listening. You just take a magnet and put it on like your, your third eye and slowly move it. Uh, down the center, up and over your head and down your back um, just slowly and do that like three or four times. <clears throat> uh, and it it makes you, it, it relieves a lot of this weird static tension that's kind of in the periphery that I think a lot of people just live with and don't notice it there. But if you're a practitioner, it's like, fuck, I feel like shit today. I don't know how to get rid of this. Yeah, I wonder if that would be a good, because like I'm constantly in the state of becoming more and more addicted to my phone 
and then having to like walk that back and then becoming more and more addicted to it again, like in waves almost. And I kind of wonder if that's just like, just obviously designed to do that, but it's a constant process. I've been noticing it lately. Yeah. I actually have been doing it more lately too. I think because of the podcast, I think because I'm more like, uh, I mean, I wasn't very active for a while when we were like the last eight months we were living in Germany for a while. And now we're back in Denmark for, uh, for, uh, immigration reasons, but now I'm legal here. So everything's kosher, but, uh, yeah, it, <clears throat> now it's like, I'm just going in a phase where I'm more active again. And, um, like we ran the course, uh, I, I do a course on, um, connecting with, spirits of place and ancestors well ancestral elevations and um healing some wounds there and where can people sign up for that uh you can just shoot me an email at reverend Jinglebones at gmail.com and i'll send you all the info um cool. we don't have like a site set up yet or anything but that i guess is probably coming in the future but uh yeah uh tim here was a uh participant in the course so was so was kurt and um but so that's that we ran that uh, recently i ran it and with beverly and it was like dead in the chat like no one no one talked most of the time but i I realized like i I wasn't putting myself into it as much either because i was just in this depressed state living in an apartment and surrounded by ghosts because well flensburg germany got aerated in world war ii and uh, it, it was just like an ocean of dead. And no matter how much I prayed and elevated or <clears throat> tried to move on, like it would be fine for like 24 to 48 hours. And then it would just flood back in. And it was just really, I think the whole time we were there was this experience of like, you're going to be thankful that you're back in Denmark. You're going to be so grateful for the place that you're going back to. And it worked, but um but because of that, I wasn't able to really put as much outgoing energy in like getting people to try and talk about their experiences and stuff. And I feel really bad about it, but I, I also got the feeling that most people didn't really even want to, that they were just kind of like, oh, I'm good. I just, I just want the homework. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird experience to, 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 I don't like to say teach a course because it's like, I don't know who the fuck am I, but like, it's, uh, but to facilitate something like that, where people are going through big stuff, like you want to do the best you can and you want to be there for them. But like, if you're going through your own shit, it's weird. And then if, if you don't hear a bunch of feedback either way, um, I guess it's safe to assume everyone's pretty happy, but, but it's cool because now I guess with the spring energy and being back home and holy shit, I can think and feel things again. Like I could barely do any magic or spirit work at all while we were there it was really difficult because it was just so much interference and static and um i like worked on my boundaries constantly and it just it seemed like nothing really um held up the walls but now that's the process of always having to put up walls is like sometimes it's necessary but when you have to do it for a long time it's just like god i don't i don't want to be doing this like you know what i mean like i want to invite guests in but if i can't you know what i mean like it's necessary, but it doesn't feel great. 
sometimes maybe, for a long time. Maybe for me, the word uh, maybe net would be better. Ooh, yeah, because it's it's pretty specific. Like, like I try to fill up the home with my spirit team, right. so that there's no room for anybody else. Um, I like. But it. if I, if I start to get a little depressed, then that slips. If I don't do my practice for two or three days, then like I can find myself in a hole pretty quick where I where I like might not even really believe that going and saying prayers is going to help. Um, yeah, that's how there too. Yeah. It was, it was bad like that when I was there, but, but it's weird. There's just this whole reemergence and spring happening at the same time where I'm like more active online, started the podcast, starting the course back up again. And I'm trying to bring this like different energy to it. And, um, yeah, it's really fun. It's really cool to see these these big waves and patterns that happen. And and in the midst of that, I end up finding myself realizing that the, the phone addiction is very real. Like, and it doesn't even bring you actual pleasure. It's just this like staticky feeling that interrupts other things you're doing and says, maybe there's a thing there that's for you. Yeah. And then it, it's like, it's like hooks. It feels like hooks to me. Ooh. You know? Gross. Right. Not, <laughs> not cool. No. Like, like Hellraiser style hooks that are coming out of this fucking thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to <laughs> explore the reaches of experience, but like, I don't want to be that kind of Cenobite. I'm not going to be a fucking phone Cenobite. <laughs> well, that's like uh, on. <clears throat> Uh, the most recent episode, we uh, compared social media to the resonator and from beyond. It's Hell like yeah. it's making you see a bunch of phantoms and, and suddenly all this stuff that was invisible before suddenly can hurt you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I got the, I don't. I listened to the first half. I don't know that I got to that part yet. Well, obviously I didn't because I don't remember, but it's, I'm it's have long. To, yeah, oh, that's cool too. Because like I, I love to have stuff to listen to. Like I run out of stuff to listen to, and so there's always room for more podcasts in my life. And I like the long form stuff too. Are you um Are you up on uh, Perfume Nationalist? No, Perfume Nationalist and Agitator have been my favorites recently because they're both very un PC and very mm-hmm. like in the spirit of just like being who you are and 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 trying to like realize that your own context matters and that just because that upsets someone else doesn't mean that you don't have a right to exist like that seems to be like the core premise of both of them to me um at least perfume nationalist is amazing because it's it's such a cool concept it's it's about perfume each episode, he picks a different perfume. Really? And then he pairs it with movies that match the mood and the vibe of the set. Oh, wow. And it is just fantastic. Like, he he kind of looks at um, the films that he picks, too. He doesn't describe the plot or anything. He just talks about them and their cultural impact and, like, the way that the, the aesthetic feels. And it's it's just a really neat show. I... um. You know, I, I didn't think that I'd find myself like, I didn't think I was interested in Amy Grant's career, but when I hear Jack talk about it, 
it's fascinating. And that to me is just like, that's the kind of culture we, we don't have anymore because everything's like done on polls first before it's created just to make sure everyone likes it. So people aren't just throwing shit at the wall and figuring out like what it is they want to do like this um, enough anymore. Yeah. It's like, it's decided by an algorithm, right? Pretty much. And we are algorithm free here. Well, I don't know shit. (laughs) It's test, test audiences before that, you know, they would have like a group of in the theater and they would show them the movie one way and they would show them the movie and the other way. And they would have the group decide and then they would ruin it accordingly. Right. (laughs) Like the, of course, you know, obviously what a movie should be is something that makes everyone happy. Right. Yeah. I think the best stuff is the stuff that like either disgusts me or puts me off in some way. Like, cause I really did like the conversation that you guys had about comedies on your last episode. Ah, uh, yeah. And that really did. I was like, wow, that's a good point. Um, it's, Kind of like someone trying to give you a hand job that you don't <laughs> want them to. You, know? like... you want a hand? No, I. Really... <laughs> I just, I just would like to. I'm too. I was too drunk to drive. You said that it was cool, but are you sure you don't want a handy? Right, but like I think the the best stuff like somehow attracts me in spite of itself. Or in spite of me, maybe is a better way to put it. I don't know. But in spite of my preconceptions, you know, like I remember like the first time and this was like back in high school or whatever. And I was like a good little Southern Christian boy. And I heard and watched like videos of David Bowie performing. And I was like, oh, that makes me feel weird. You know, but it's like my favorite shit. And like I asked this question a lot on the podcast, like, what were you afraid of as a kid? Because I feel like that answer to that question, it says a lot. Because the things that I was afraid of as a kid are the the stuff I'm obsessed with. And I was obsessed with it as a kid, too. But I was, like, drawn by that fear. That fear was was what pierced my armor. Hmm. Like, you know, as as magically operant people, like, I think there's always a, a transgression there, right? Like, how, like not even just how did I get into that, but how does, how do I continue to put myself in that framework is like, I wandered into something I somewhere I wasn't supposed to be and maybe saw something I wasn't supposed to see. And it's over after that. You know what I mean? I can't stop thinking about it after that. Yeah. But, but some people just kind of, brush it off some people go to great lengths to ignore that shit so yeah it's it's really interesting why some of us just it takes one time and you're on board like molder <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> yeah because i'm definitely like you know there's an, i respect skeptics a lot but i have pretty much come to terms with the fact that i'm not one like maybe i have skepticism is a quality sometimes that i'm willing to like play with but I'm I'm pretty much like a true believer to where like I actually go like full bore and then I have to like walk back a little bit and be like, okay. Word. I totally feel that. Yeah. I 
that's always kind of been my way is is to learn to get into anything new or to understand anything i have to go hard yeah and then learn why like i got i went too far yes yes i like that because to me if someone if someone says like there's a wall there <clears throat> i literally can't see it i have to go smack my head into it first yeah or like when people are like don't do that i'm like why'd you say that it makes <laughs> me want to do it especially in magic people are like oh yeah don't like don't fuck with that ritual or don't do this I'm like well don't do something on an eclipse it's like all right well i'm gonna do it and then we're gonna find out <laughs> like, you know? oh, yeah well, yeah. I mean, no, eclipses are great for magic as long as it's a curse. <laughs> right. I think I've accidentally cursed myself that way. And that's like, okay. You know, because if I'm, this is goes back to the same conversation we were having before. If I'm constantly worried about what's going to happen and I'm tiptoeing and I'm getting in my own way in that way, then nothing's ever going to happen. Right. And I'm just going to, I can stay in my safe box. So here's a little, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom worked as a house cleaner and I grew up in, in Gulf coast, Florida. So this was like, um, multi-million dollar home <clears throat> with an elevator in it and uh, a Ms. Pac-Man machine that I would play while my mom cleaned the house. Hell yeah. And, uh, when I was, I don't remember this at all, but when I was, too young to remember probably around three or something like she made sure to explain to me that this big red button on the wall was something to never press and of course i pressed the fucking button i don't know if it took a while or if it was like 10 seconds after she walked out of the room right, right? <laughs> probably the latter but then like the uh, cops and the fire department came and it was like a huge embarrassing mess for my mom. And I'm like, like thinking back, just like, I wonder if she learned her lesson from that. Like if she actually, <laughs> I'm trying to think if she ever did that again after. And I don't think so. <laughs> I think. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good lesson for everybody. Right. And so her, that's a perfect example. Like there's certain things I'm never going to learn unless I try. And like to try is often to fail and I'm putting air quotes on it because like failure and by whose standards, right? Like it's not a participation trophy thing. It's just the fact that like I learn something every time I fail at something. Man, I just saw that that really that's funny. I just saw it earlier today like a a post Daniel Four made on Instagram that it was just him talking about how in other cultures and other traditions, messes are built into the system and they're expected to happen. And you are taken care of and it's never treated like it's a chore to, to help you clean up your mess. Uh, like it's, ine it's inevitable that you're going to fuck it up if you're doing spirit work at some point and you're going to need someone to help you out. And like, <clears throat> we have such a culture of doggy dog. I will fuck over my best friend to get the promotion to make like a 50 cent a raise and you know or whatever yeah. even if 50,000 a year better like that's still fucked up to you know and but but that's like that's american ethics that's that's literally like what we believe the right thing to do actually is 
Um, we will say the other thing, but we know deep down the right thing to do is to look out for myself because you, you know, your neighbor probably thinks the same thing <laughs> and there's just this weird. Yeah. But I don't know where I was going with that. No, you're good. I do <laughs> want to ask you this question though. What were you afraid of when you were a kid? Uh, what wasn't I afraid of when I was a kid? That's the best answer. Um, I wasn't afraid of saying the wrong shit and I wasn't afraid of pissing people off or getting people, getting people offended. And I was pretty good at talking my way out of trouble, like very good at talking my way out of trouble. Uh, but I was, I was, I mean, I had, I had experiences like recurring dreams that, you know, at this point in my life, it's like, was it a dream or was it, um, like sort of an in-between thing or was it an actual abduction but um this thing would <clears throat> open the door to my like i had sliding glass doors in my back room and it would open the door and come grab my ankle and just pull me off the bed like like it wasn't menacing it wasn't like i'm gonna kill you it was just this black figure with orange angular eyes like a lot like an alien but like a little bit more like demonic kind of yeah. It actually really resonates with what um, Whitley Strieber had happened to him. It's it's very similar to that image, although I have no recollection of its presence or anything because all I felt at the time was terror. And my experience of this was that it was a dream, but I, um, I did. My parents did think that I sleepwalked, sleptwalked when I was a kid. I don't know how to say that in past tense. Sleepwalked. Sleep, yeah, sleepwalked. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Sleep, yes, Shanksmere. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I would be as I would be on the couch when they would wake up in the morning, and like I would have no memory of going there or anything. So I don't know. Whatever was going on, it was something. But I also because of partly because of that, but partly because I would as I was falling asleep at night when I'd get into that state where I was in between, I would get images of, I don't know how to explain this. Have you ever seen berserk? Yes. Do you know the eclipse scene? Mm, I haven't seen a lot of berserk, so probably not. Essentially it's, it would be like what you would imagine hell to look like, like projected into my mind when I was going to sleep at night as a little kid. And it was like, flesh tearing and bodies and screaming and flames and things just like horrific shit. Yeah. And the church that I was raised in never believed in hell. Like I was, I was raised in a, <clears throat> in a weird, um, almost like, a uh, Jehovah's witness where we, we celebrate the old Testament holidays and we didn't do Christmas or Easter or anything. Cause they have a lot of paganism in them. And they actually were pretty proud of themselves for doing that research and all that. And, uh, but so I never got taught that it was even a place that humans ever go. So Interesting. for me to have that, it wasn't, it wasn't implanted in me from church or anything. It was not some kind of indoctrinated thing. It was, it was, uh, it was happening in between cognitive states and it would jar me awake. And then I would have to sleep on my back 
and make sure that like all my limbs were on the bed and not hanging over the side because I don't know why. Uh, apparently I was just safe if they couldn't see them. Yeah. I uh, did that too. Actually. I think that really? was because, yeah, I felt like if it was hanging over the side. Then it's, it's fair game or something. Yeah. I think there's game. a combination of, um, did you ever see the movie little monsters? With, I don't uh, think so. it's dude, it's, it's really weird. It's, uh, it's got Howie Mandel as like the monster, <laughs> but like, it's really one of those, you know, it's an eighties movie. So like it's a kids movie, but it's like really kind of fucked up. Like it's scary. And there's like a whole monster world under the bed. And so I think it was a combination of that. And, um, but like, yeah, they're the kids that go down there. Like they're getting their heads pulled off and shit, man. Like it's the no holds barred. And then I can't, which Freddy Krueger movie was it? Where the cover of the VHS was like his hand coming over the bed. Dude, I didn't even see the movie as a kid, but I just the cover of it in the video store would like was enough to give me nightmares. Bless you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I didn't watch horror movies when I was a kid either. I liked things that were like <clears throat> like weird and creepy, cool kind of stuff. Like I loved loved like labyrinth and Beetlejuice and stuff like that. Yeah. But anything that was intentionally supposed to be scaring me, I um I just had a hard line, a hard no. Now I know how to fucking like tell a spirit to go away. So like it's actually really weird. This is the first time in my life I've been getting into horror, like more and more of that kind of genre lately. And it's it's cool because it's all fresh to me. Um, yeah, that is cool. For the most part. <laughs> but um but yeah, I just because for me, that was an invitation. I was like, these things are already in my fucking head, and I don't know why, and I don't know how to get them out. And you know, I, I never that was another thing I was afraid of when I was a kid. I was afraid of telling my parents that it was happening to me because I was afraid that mm. they would think. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my mind, my logic was if God is good and all good, right. And basically they thought that any, any spare contact at all was a demon trying to trick you. <clears throat> and in this case, they were just straight up like we're evil, you know, making a display of being evil, really. Yeah. Which is odd. You know, I think I, you don't often see that. You see a lot of, a lot of spirits trying to trick you into shit, but like not a lot of spirits like look how fucking badass and fiery and, and right. it was just, it's, or like a, like intentionally causing destruction. Like that's actually like more of a human thing to do. <laughs> right. Right. And I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but um, I'm sure I'll find out one day, even if I'm dead when I do. Right. But yeah, I, I was afraid to tell them because of my logic. God is all good. And if these things are happening to me, I was afraid if I told them that they would think there was something wrong with me. Yeah. And like it somehow makes you bad or like you deserved it maybe, or I, 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 I hear that. And then, and then from there, like, well, they're not going to choose me over God. Mm. That was the next thought. I used to, that just reminded me for some reason, and this is something I haven't thought of for a while. I used to have, 
like compulsive, blasphemous thoughts. That's and hot. It was, isn't that hot? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, um, because, you know, in church, they would, I remember, like, I read the Bible and I listened in Sunday school because I was into that shit. It was cool, you know, like, yeah, I like these stories. But there was always that thing of like blasphemy or like even I think there's some verse in the New Testament about like the, that Paul writes about like the unforgivable sin or whatever is blasphemy. And just the, I, so it comes back to that idea, like the red button, right? Just the fact that there is this thing that you can't do, my mind would just immediately like, and so it would freak me out because in my head would be thoughts of like, fuck God, God's not real. Fuck that shit. You know what I mean? And I would get scared of that. Just having those thoughts. But really, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that for the first time in a, in a long time. It's interesting. That's really relatable to me. <clears throat> I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always been very impatient. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm severely ADHD, and I only really same here. Yeah, and I only really figured it out in recent years. So it's been a trip to be like, oh, all those things that I've literally hated myself for for, for not being able to like keep up with other people for. Um, that's a disability. That's like actually a thing where you're cognitively different and uh, you don't function normally. And 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 it was just so incredible to me to find out that was not just me like that these are <clears throat> like reading the symptoms and reading like other people's struggles it's just like holy fuck holy fuck yeah basically my conclusion is that adhd people are meant to exist in a world where immediate needs matter and not like fabricated um bullshit like societal things like if basically ADD, adhd people living in the woods would be fine right because they get hungry and they think like, oh, I got to go get food now. And my edge detection is on point. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I can see that shit over there out of the corner of my eye, just moving against, you know, like I always kind of saw it as a superpower and I was prescribed like Ritalin and Adderall in like first grade. Right. So given government speed, basically. Yeah. And, and not the fun kind because <laughs> you don't have any of the like euphoria. It's just that hyper-focused, but then the flip side of it is like total depression and like mania, like fucking losing your mind, basically. Like, But so it's funny thinking about those, those intrusive, like I would don't even want to call them intrusive thoughts because they're just like, th like I was just testing, I was just testing the world that I was being told was the... I was just testing the acceptable reality. So my thought would be, okay, well, like, let's find out, you know? So like, oh yeah, you can't say this about God. Well, let's check it out and see what happens. Am I going to get struck down? And like, will I immediately be transported to hell or like, will no one give a shit? And, and so then fast forward to being given those medicines and it doesn't really like take those away because I wouldn't be able to sleep or, you know, medicine. I'm going to do air quotes on that because like, fuck that. Right. It's like weaponized. It's like MK Ultra shit, basically. And so I wouldn't be able to sleep. And so all of a sudden, these 
this mind that's going a mile a minute kind of became it kind of became like a weight to train with to where like okay like if i'm going to be able to like go to sleep or not lose my mind or whatever or be able to lay here in the dark with myself like i'm going to have to figure something out right and so i would start to do basically like what you do to enter into a journey or do any kind of energy work or any kind of visualization work or really any kind of trance where you go into the relaxation. And so I would relax, like consciously relax from like the tips of my fingers down my hand to my arm. Just I would, and I didn't know what that was, but that was just an instinct for me. Like if I'm going to be able to live in this world like this, then I'm going to have to figure something out. (laughs) And so like, lo and behold later on i figure out that's a thing yeah yeah that's yeah that's um i I actually went through exactly the same thing i was probably like 13 when that happened though and it was my cousin and i laying on a couch together watching cartoons in ohio and we both just started like whoa i've been laying here so long that i can't feel my body anymore and i was like me too and then we started playing with that and that was like i figured it out with with my cousin just hanging out yeah. and then came like my first meditation practice. And, you know, it sucks that I figured it out that late, but, but it was, uh, I mean, I could have used it before, but what, what I was saying about those, um, like the intrusive thoughts and stuff being ADHD and, and combined with that, I think maybe, and, and you saying like that saying fuck God is like, in your head is like this way of feeling out the room, like trying to find the, the walls in the invisible room or where the furniture is. So you don't stub your fucking shin or like if you yeah, eat like if furniture, or if anyone's like lying about the invisible furniture. <clears throat> um, and for me, that was, it's been this thing with violence in different ways. Like I would have really violent thoughts just pop through my head. It really, I do think that this is probably a life of penance for me because I think it was probably some, like I probably murdered a lot of people. Not murdered, but maybe like, maybe like in some kind of self-justified crusade or something. I think I was probably responsible. And that might be what is echoing through because there's no reason for a child to have that much death and misery like coming through unless they earned it somehow in another place and time. But that would come through as violence for me in these like flashes. And I would have to like reconcile that and kind of feel the walls out of like my own morality. And like, what do I actually feel from this? And I, I'm, I swear when I was younger, I was a sociopath and now I'm not. Hmm. I don't know how that's possible, but I, I, I had that, disconnect where like I would run through shit in my head and be like this doesn't actually bother me and and I became sort of obsessed with that idea for a while and like imagined things just to see like why why don't I feel this and then I come come to find out that that was all may have actually had something to do with the trauma from the abduction experiences because those came up in a healing session with a shaman where I had an imprint on me from those experiences 
that was still fucking me up. And that happened two, like two years ago or less that this less than a year ago, I think. Um, so I, and that's interesting. You mentioned MK ultra a minute ago, because I, I have this wonder about that. Like is, is my abduction experience that instead of an actual abduction is because there's this, I, I know they were experimenting with splitting consciousness and causing intentionally causing multiple personality. Right. And, um, and it's like, it's like what happened, what, what my condition of like this, this weird split that I've had is it's not quite that it's not enough to be that, but it's like, there's something about it. Um, yeah, I kind of forgot where I was going. <laughs> well, it makes me, well, you just, you mentioning that makes me want to talk about, um, my, okay, here's my pet theory about MK ultra. You know how they, whoever it was at the time, like, they got to a point and then they like burnt all the records and like got yeah. rid of them. And they're like, Oh, we didn't find anything. It didn't work, but let's make 20 more programs based on right. this. Thing. Yeah. It didn't work. We didn't find anything. Just, yeah. There's like there, literally there's nothing to see here. <laughs> they, no, that's, they just took it wide. They were like, okay, this is ready for the public. So now we're going to take it wide. So we have to burn what we did because we're going to do it to everybody. And so like what's happening with the pharmaceutical companies and all that shit, is just man i want to start a whole nother podcast about this mk ultra you know yeah that's an interesting point um mk ultra was the beta yeah it was the beta test right finished and then they took it they took it to scale yeah yeah no i i I think that makes sense um it makes my childhood make so much more sense when i think about it that way because i'm like how could you Okay, because I also hated school. I, dude, I hated it so much. And I couldn't function normally in it. And I thought that that made me less than, or like, like you were talking about, you know, like when you found out about ADHD, that it's like, oh, this is something that, an experience that other people have. Well, it, right. And, but then also they took me in. To like the talented and gifted program so they took us aside and it's like what was going on with that but then also i was on so many drugs all the time that i really don't have like a very good memory of any of it you know what i mean yeah yeah and who who wrote the curriculums and and yeah. you don't know <clears throat> i i think you're really onto something there with the pharmaceutical stuff because i think what they did was they they took a bunch of kids and they pumped and, and soldiers and pumped them full of shit. And then they looked at the results, a bunch of different things, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And then from the results, they went like, well, these, this handful of these things we tried is actually potentially useful for us. So now we go live with these and we work them into the pharmaceutical industry. We develop reasons to, to have them in the first place. Like, you know, start creating diagnoses um, and creating disease. And then you have reasons to put these things in place. And I I do think that there's, there are these shifts in, um, I think autism and attention deficit disorder are, are like neurodivergence in general. There's shit happening. And I, 
I don't know how much of it's natural and how much of this is deep evil plot. Because if yeah, I, I mean, like if if you if you go digging, if you actually are brave enough to go do your fucking research on black projects, you n- nothing seems too far fetched, and nothing <laughs> seems accidental. Like okay, right. So they did thirty to forty years of covert research on trauma-based mind control. And then you're wanting to tell me that they just like shut that down. But now everyone is traumatized all the time. And that's a coincidence. Like, come on, dude. No, no. And and that's just the thing. I know I'm being mind controlled when I lose like my sense of self and I have to like, I have to say prayers every day to keep that sense of of reality. Because if don't for like a couple of weeks, I'll question whether or not spirits are even real. And, yeah, and that too. Natural. Someone living, someone living 200 fucking years ago wouldn't have that problem or maybe, maybe two, depending on where they are. A thousand years ago, six and a half hundred years ago, definitely not. Right. Uh, but there's, there's this current that's here, even outside of the sensory data and input, there's there's the spirit of whatever this thing is that wants us to detach from reality and the world that is that is composed of spirit. Which there's, is just association. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. But what does that mean? Like just dissociation. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But like, but my but my withdrawing from the world of spirit and saying, like, oh, that's not real, that is a form of dissociation because I'm dissociating from what's actually real and observable about life. Right, but calling it dissociation, all, yeah. it, it's like there's this clinical sounding word that totally. we now have been duped into applying to what is actually ruining your fucking life. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, so there's this minimization going on in the language that, um, and you know, we don't have adequate language for these these things. Yeah, already our, don't. Um, I, it, yeah. It, so I it's interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Think, yeah, because I think the the whole like don't appropriate psyop is to keep us from gathering language from other cultures so that we can appropriately discuss this shit. Like it's Dude, yeah, it's all theater of separation. But like you go like yes, the don't appropriate thing for sure. Because I think that like cultures have been interacting for like they used to interact more than they, we interact now, you know, like the, like the continent of turtle Island was like a place where people came from all over and shared space and, you know, and, and so it's interesting to me that, that that's put under the rug because when anything is brushed under the rug, I immediately am like, Maybe there's something to that. It goes back to the red button. Like, why are you brushing this under the rug that like Vikings came here and that the Egyptians came here and that the Moors came here and that there were black people and brown people and white people here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And going, going, yeah, that's, I mean, and what you were just saying, even if you just go with the native Americans, if you look at their creation myths throughout tribes, what you get is a continent full of people that were from the entire far reaches of the galaxy. Oh yeah, that's great. 
they're not they're not just from here or there. They all have different our yeah. lineages and creation myths, so they're all different people. I got goosebumps <laughs> when you said that. Okay, I also want to go back to something you said uh, in the MK Ultra conversation. When you were talking about how much of it is just natural, or um, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but how much of it is just a natural response and how much of it is whatever. How much of of the neurodivergence? It, okay, so like, I think it's observable that when when power, uh, whatever you want to call it, when the powers that be, like their creations, often get away from them, right? Like, I think the internet is a good example of that. Like a military project that kind of got <laughs> away from them, and I, they probably like, if you ask the people that brought about the internet they might be like yeah that wasn't like the greatest idea like in the end right because i think it's it has brought more free thinking than it has control do you think so i don't know man actually that's a good point (laughs) (laughs) i used to think that and now i'm like i just said it and was like wait i don't know i I don't know either way either i i would say that i'd say it's completely possible that the percentage is this, that the ratio is still the same, but the people being mind controlled have been pushed into a further extreme and a further uh, compartmentalization. <clears throat> and the people that yeah. are not being as controlled are even further educated and even further removed from the reality the other people are living in. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the separation has gotten bigger. And you're saying if it's all about separation, like then it looks like bad guys are winning. Yeah, and actually it gives us the illusion of connection without any of the messy nitty-gritty of it, right? Yeah, that's the But it allows word. this, but it allows this. Yeah. So it allows this conversation too, right? So I mean, I've met a lot of really like people I would never have met. So like I said, it, I think the, you're probably more right than not. The, of the 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 dissonance of Melkor mm. in the Silmarillion is yeah. allowed; it is permitted to resonate throughout all of existence until the end, because the dissonance will create more beauty later than could have ever been possible otherwise. And so, I think <clears throat> this compost heap heap of uh, an apocalypse that we're standing like that we're standing in or about to be standing in is the, the compost that, that many, many better worlds can spring from <clears throat> many possible worlds can spring from. And I think, uh, you know, us trying to have a meaningful heartfelt conversation about things that really do matter through this military technology like that's the only reading remediation we've got <clears throat> it's like like i've i've even stopped looking at the conspiracy shit and and by that i mean literally just reading government documents and watching the news and um right <laughs> like reading official data and then comparing it to official data from a year ago uh that's conspiracy theorists these days these days <clears throat> Um, they're just researchers who don't get to have friends anymore. Right. And um, 
I've stopped that stuff because I'm like, what am I accomplishing here? The only thing I need to look for is falling rocks. I don't need to know anything else except where the rocks might fall. I like that. And, and I still might get hit by a fucking rock. So, uh, I think the world that comes next after this colonial project, uh, this, well, it's not even that it's, it's the colonial project, which is an evolution of empire, which probably started somewhere before Rome, but Rome's the furthest back that I can trace, uh, that sort of, you know, we're building roads up to your, to your town and that's all we have to do to own you that kind of, um, like, and it's, you see that in America and God bless both of them. They have the, the gold Eagle, the, the bald Eagle. Like there's this weird Eagle shit with empire, the Nazis, Napoleon, um, fuck Eagles and sky sky daddy is that it is it a sky daddy thing? <laughs> no. there's something about it's predatory and it's above everything else but like it's it's that's an appropriation right because the eagle's just being an eagle yeah yeah that's definitely appropriation well it's it's not really appropriation it's just black magic yeah that's it's a good point just, too you're riding a spirit to greatness when you don't deserve the greatness. Like it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just sometimes I'm think about that Philip K. Dick thing where like, there's like a whole thousand years like missing from history or something, 600 years or something like, I don't know. There's definitely something going on, but that's a good, like, just that's another good segue from what you just said. And it's medicine for me. And it's good for me to hear that, 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 um, because I am very drawn to the conspiracy shit too. And right. Like I, I found myself getting in this place where like, I was just looking at too much of it. And then it was kind of breeding resentment in me. Instead of making me more free, which like, but then I have this kind of like my rationale is like, well, I'm hunting for the truth, but like, I will never know. Like you said, I won't know it. So like, yeah, I love, dude, I could go into it forever, but I'm trying to be free of fear, not to make myself more afraid, which is another fine line. That's interesting. I, I find this <clears throat> this shape that takes place in the world where you can either it goes back to King Solomon, right? All is vanity. All is vanity. Focus on that which is eternal. And so when when you get like the STEM sciences, <clears throat> and what what you get is uh, infinite complexity. The physical world will unfold into complexity infinitely you can study it for infinite generations forever and you will still not have it like figured out it'll always just be like more categories smaller yeah, knowledge, knowledge is totally fractal you can just follow it down into the abyss 
Right. And that's, that's the all is vanity to me. That's cool. I like that. Um, so like <clears throat> you can hunt for the truth, which sounds like a noble pursuit, but, but how's it making your life better? Right. Like, yeah. What's your life like? That's <laughs> how do you feel when you're done studying it? Right. And, and are you hunting for it on, uh, a miniature surveillance device that's designed to put hooks in you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And okay. So if you, if you're spending like three hours a day researching conspiracy stuff and then four hours a day after that feeling like shit, the MK ultra program is still stealing your life from you. Yeah. Right. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's capitalizing on your heart that wants out of its genuine desire for truth to find truth. And it's, it's, it's co-opting you and turning you into an acid. Man, that is wonderful. And I needed to hear it because I mean, it's awful and terrible, but it's, great to hear like <laughs> because medicine when I'm, dude yeah right the medicine doesn't have to taste good when when i'm living my life and like when i'm <coughs> when i'm interested in my own life and i'm filling it with things like i don't do that because i don't have time to do that shit yeah it's only yeah. it's really like the idle idle hands or the devil's playground or whatever you know I think, um, but like, even though, you know, <laughs> yeah, even though, even though we fuck with the devil. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Right. Maybe Satan is a bit. <sighs> I think really like archons are our devils. I, they are. They totally are. Right. I'm, I'm, archons. I'm with that. It's... Say again. Archons and spooks. Right. Which. But- there's a boogeyman for us yeah because like it's what what's on the side of life you know yeah and an archon is it's trying to make the world more Just more fucking boring, man. Like, or to put like an an interstitial layer between everything, right? Like to insinuate itself into every interaction. It's like a fucking condom. <laughs> right? Which, you know, is fucking lame. Anti-phylactic. <laughs> and a demon is like going to help you get down. And you know, the only time that a spirit. Okay. I'm going to try to figure out how to say this because it's, it gets dicey as you know, the only time that a spirit comes to me in a way that's horrifying or as like an affront is when there's something that I haven't yet integrated. Like I said, like the fear or the disgust 
or the initial discomfort being that like that layer being able to be pierced, you know? And so if the archons are the interstitial layer, ah, Oh, wow. Right. That fear is piercing that or that disgust is piercing that shit. Shit. Okay. So on our episode with Beverly, we just talked for a little while about whatever. And this came up, this idea of like the, the colonialist pinning down of butterflies and you want to be a naturalist and like categorize everything. But then now what we're getting is that's inverting and we're doing it to our insides. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same process. We've just turned it to our insides and we put, and that's where the politicization of everything comes in. Mm-hmm. Like everything has to have a title. You can express any opinion and there's going to be one asshole on Twitter that goes, Oh, you're part of this political group. That's right. your agenda. That's behind the thing you said, because no one believes that anyone says anything from their heart anymore at all. But so <clears throat> wait, where, what were we just talking about? Man. You were talking about the the colonial project, um, right? And, right. Yeah. So the so what you're talking about is archons. It's almost like a membrane, yeah, that comes around and and, and encapsulates and and uh, and uh, pillows you in. Because what happens in in a in a like a a healing ceremony or a or spear contact or an initiation is there's something a membrane is pierced. Yes. Every like. In an initiation, it's it's something where you're you're coming into power you didn't know you had, or you're stepping into power that you didn't have, um, <clears throat> breaking a mainframe and, and acquiring a, a wider one. Usually, that's what's going on, uh, whether that's you know whatever. But but it you know, and even in healing, you're getting like like go back and sit with what that did to you, and you sit with it until it kind of untangles and reabsorbs that's usually the process you don't want to be forceful but it's like this you have to connect and pierce that so that it can re uh reassimilate with you and if if archons are condoms holy shit i'm going raw dog <laughs> i'm trying to raw dog the cosmos baby <laughs> <laughs> but you know like we talk about the theater of division it's like getting between everything and it also goes back to i mean okay not to like this is your shit but like when you talked about how you felt like you were a, a sociopath and like you were blocked off from all these emotions like that was a response to something right to some yes. kind of to some like whatever you want to call it to some kind of trauma or pain or, or whatever it was. And so that had to be pierced, right? For healing to occur. Like something has to get in. But yeah. like if the, the archon is the thing that stands between anything getting in and it, it's the dividing thing and language does it too. When we break down things like the English language, you know, we have that thing of we have to break down everything to its constituent parts. Basically we're vivisecting everything. Thank you so much for saying that. I've actually said before, like, um, I don't know if anyone else has ever said this before, but I'm proud of myself for being like, <laughs> I've, yeah. I've never heard it say, like, what's the dif- uh, what is greater, the pen or the sword? What's the fucking difference? Right. Oh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. The second you write down a word, you've just divided the universe. And there's yeah. this, and then there's everything else. 
And that's like, that's what cutting does. That's, it's the same. Yeah. So art does something similar, but it allows, like, you're actually like kind of, what's the word I'm trying to use? You're like repurposing that into something that creates more nuance. Right. So like they're they're honestly like it some sometimes seems like they're they're like the good twin and the evil twin. That's such a bad metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again. Is language the one ring? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. And like so art is hmm, I don't know. I gotta maybe sit with that some more. Because it does something very similar, right? Like, it's also putting something down, but like good art allows for there to be nuance, for it to be interpreted multiple ways, or maybe like, you know, I don't know. I got to sit with that some more. Yeah. (laughs) Some thoughts need to bake. Right? Because I think that language is like the one ring, and but maybe just like certain languages are the one ring, you know? I don't know. I think there's many one rings. Oh, to- yeah, for sure. <laughs> like the internet's definitely in it. I think the internet's the best example of the one ring. Yeah. Well, I like... like- oh, go ahead. Oh, just, you know, you, you put it on to do a good thing, but then you find yourself picking it back up and trying to put it on later for no reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's just kind of sort of like addiction too. Um, but I've heard, you know, in the, the circles that we run in, people talking about um, trying to understand, trying to understand what's going on as being the one ring or like trying to understand the conspiracy can be like the one ring, right? Yeah. Because, and someone said it and I can't give them credit because I don't remember who it was, but it's like, I like that obsession to know like how the precious works or just that obsession with the precious. Like I've got to know, but like it kind of can be taking, like you said, it can be taking me down the road that I don't know. I've never read uh, shamefully, never read Faust. Have you? No, I haven't shamefully as well. I was just wondering like, does Faust, try to do good things initially because i don't know and or or is lord of the rings like our prime example in literature of this scenario of like the thing that is evil must be used at times to prevent the evil yeah and because i always want to say it's just power in general but i've actually kind of come away from that as i have gotten an exposure to power that does not do that right and i think i think like gandalf's a great example of that because he's never really i mean even galadriel like she's such a badass and she struggles hard with that shit so yeah and like who who was able to not who like sam 
Yeah, the pure of heart. <laughs> yeah, just kind of the like the bumbling, like the fool, right? But like then, yeah. I, why didn't Sam just carry it? <laughs> he did for a second. Yeah, it didn't work out that great, did it? Well, I think he didn't. He have it when, or am I thinking of some? It's been a long time since I've read it, but I want to say he carried it for a second while he like stormed that orc tower. And there's a second where you see Sam as like the total badass that he is, you know, kind of in the same way that when Theoden is like riding to his death, basically. And it talks about, um, this is one of my favorite passages from Lord of the Rings. Um, he was a vision of the Kings of old in glory undimmed before the breaking of the world. Oh, yeah, like where you can see, like he's really Tolkien is so good at like at that, like I mean, letting that, that mythical breakthrough in those moments. The way he writes is like conjuration. Like it's yeah, it's beautiful in the way that like <clears throat> like you're standing here and you know exactly where you're standing, and then within like two sentences, he's pulled in things from the furthest reaches of everything you know and further, and yeah. like suddenly you are in relation to these things, like the way that you call in the quarters before a ceremony or whatever, it's, it's unbelievable. Like you, yeah. Some passages in Tolkien, I swear when you read them, you are invoking middle earth and that makes it like easier to imagine. And I've only read like three Tolkien books, two and a half. I'm still reading the same one I started over the winter. Cause I read like five books at a time in ADHD, man. I do the same thing. I read. Yeah. Five at a time. And just, you know, but I'm just kind of come to accept it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Come, <laughs> like, they're like, when I have a full bookshelf of shit that I haven't read, I'm doing well because that means I have options. Yes, exactly. What, um, did you, is it the Silmarillion that you're reading? <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm reading, uh, Children of Huron. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one, but I love that story because it's in the Silmarillion, you know, it's a shorter treatment, but it's a, Man, I, I don't. Really, so there's Silmarillion is the one I've read the most. I used to read it every year. That's amazing to me. I like. I thought I was a badass because I read it once when I was, <laughs> and I was like, like that shit's thick as the Bible in in the way that it reads. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's poetic. <clears throat> uh, it doesn't have you know shitty chapters with just lineages for for fifty pages, but it's like close, the Bible. Though huh it's yeah close. some of it is i i don't remember much of it i i know that there I are it. parts where it's just like talking about like but it's also it's like the lineages of elves and where they ended up settling so i'm always like super fascinated in that world building stuff man and that's maybe and another adhd thing where like i could just get hyper focused into that and just like trance myself out into that world because it's laid out for me there like and there's something in me that's like the more you know about it, the more I don't know, the more real it is. I don't know if that's true, but that's well, the, my the thing, the thing about Tolkien's books, the thing about Middle Earth is it is real. It's a hundred percent real. It's the it's the it's the truest thing I've ever read. It's some kind of real, like it's more real than real. I okay. Here's here's my weird weird ass Tolkien story. Let's get and it. it's. Like partly why I put down Children of Huron and haven't picked it back up because it affected me so much. Because I okay, a few years ago I had <clears throat> I was doing a lot of microdosing uh, mushrooms at the time, 
and having amazing dreams. Like, like most of the time I wasn't even a body and I'm just zipping around and like watching civilizations occur as I'm staring down at a planet, like things like just unfathomably cool stuff was happening. Highly recommend a microdose of psilocybin right before bed. So it hits you while you're in your dream. Um, Highly recommend that and ask your ancestors to come and lead you and heal you before you do it. And I had this dream that I was standing on a mountain in a bunch of mountains with this man who was wearing my dad's form, but he wasn't my dad. And he definitely felt like family. Um, like he might've actually been my dad, but not my human dad, yeah. like some kind of father figure. And when we were standing on this mountain and looking out and we were doing some sort of vibratory dance singing thing, but First, we were discussing plans and looking at it like um, like engineers. And then we would sing holes through the mountain. Oh, cool. And it became a passageway for our people, like a giant mass of people to walk through. And it eventually kind of became like a city. And then I'm reading Children of Huron, and it talks about in the old days and the elves and there were two cities of caves. One of them was already there and the elves found it. And then later, a later swarm of elves came back. I think they, I think they were the ones that left and could never return from the place beyond or whatever from the East. Um, and one of them, yeah, they didn't choose to come back. I think. Yeah. But go ahead. Some of them ch- didn't choose to. And then some of them chose to come back after. Yeah. Because Fanor led, a bunch of them back chasing after Morgoth because he took the jewels. Right. Right. Yeah. So like the dark elves are the ones that never went over. Right. They're called dark elves and they're like, they're not like dark elves, like D and D dark elves. I mean, maybe they are, I don't know, but they just didn't see the light of Valinor. And then there are like high elves that did, but even the high. So this is an interesting thing. And I'm not meaning to interrupt you, but one of the cool things about it is that even the high elves in Middle Earth are like transgressors against the the light. But anyway, continue. Right. And that's where you get that whole like clearly Tolkien had a uh, Christian sky daddy in his cosmology. Or there's this like, you're shamed if you come back even to help because you left me and I'm jealous. I'm a jealous guy. <laughs> it was kind of the original sin because they came back for revenge. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Because Morgoth um, slayed, like, committed the first murder and slayed Fanor's father and took the Silmarils, which had the light of the trees in them, and okay. then fled across the ocean back to Middle Earth. And then they were like, Yeah, we're going to get those and kill your ass. So <clears throat> Fanor, the- like, swore revenge in, in the name of the, like, in the name of the one in heaven and was like, Fuck y'all. I'm going to get my shit and avenge my dad. And he's like a very tragic fallen character, but just like a really good one. But can, sorry, like, I, I keep interrupting because it's like I have to. That was, that was him going like, fuck God, fuck, fuck Jesus. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but one of them, one of them. Was and I think so- you're talking about Menegroth and Nargothrond. 
Yes. And, yeah. and he was so obsessed with the old city of caves that he built a fucking new one in that, that one little place that's in the middle of the desert, but it's just this mountain range. Yeah. Uh, so when I had this dream, this was a few years ago when I'm reading the book, I read that part and suddenly I'm like, <clears throat> and when I say this, I mean in that ritual sense where it's like, it's in your mind, but it's like, you're there. I was back in the dream and I was like, there was this knowing that they were the same fucking place. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know that they are, but it's like, I, I know that. But you went that, there. That world was, I mean, the, the work of Becca Tarnas comparing, um, comparing Tolkien's diaries to uh, uh, the red book by Jung. Like it's, it's undeniable that this, like, like Tolkien wouldn't, wouldn't just make up words in Elvish. He would be like, I have to go find out and go into active imagination and fucking find it. Yeah. So yeah, that place exists. It, it, and so it also reminds me of, and I talked about this a little bit with Kurt, but um, HP Lovecraft's dream world. And it's like, not, I feel like these stories don't get as like any coverage hardly at all. Um, but they are connected to the, the rest of the mythos, but he has a very robust like dream world cycle in his stories. And I used to go there in my dreams. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I would, I mean, some of the cities like were different cities, but like, I knew it was that dream world, if that makes any sense. Like, and they had names. I would, I can remember the names of some of them. Yeah. That's really interesting. I have, I have a, um, I have a pretty consistent, well, I, I don't anymore. It's weird. <clears throat> it's like in Dune where he gets to a certain point and he doesn't know the future anymore. Oh, yeah. That, that happened in my life. There were, there were years where <clears throat> shit would happen and I'd be like, oh, okay, things go this way because I, I had a dream that's, it's the same feel as this moment. And I, you know, I kind of just know things land uh, this way or whatever. Yeah. But I also would have these these this dream city, and then beyond the city, where there were other things that happened, and all these other places, and I dreamed them throughout years, and all in different order. Cool. <laughs> and when I was in California trimming weed in like twenty thirteen or fourteen, um, it was like more weed than I'd ever consumed in my life, and it was just constant, and some kind of again membrane broke. And suddenly, like for the for the whole the few months I was there, throughout the day, I would just get flashes of dreams, and it would be like, okay, I remember this entire dream, and I know I had it five years ago when I was living at this apartment with these people, and then later, I uh, just this one was two months ago. I was back home. This one was when I was five years old. And what happened was in those few months where I started recalling having this like huge dream recollection surge, I was realizing they were all in relation to one another in the dream world and that they all actually formed a map. And then later I put the pieces together. They were all events from my life. They were just the weird dream versions of them. Oh man, that's really cool. And so <clears throat> at this point, I'm, I'm at a point in the timeline where there's no future hints anymore. It's mm. really weird. Man, that really makes me think of, and dude, I don't even know like how, like this is probably like not legit, but 
there's a, <laughs> even me trying to describe it is going to be like, yeah, whatever. There's like a YouTube video where this guy who was like apparently involved in some like black project that was uh, like operation looking glass or something where they were looking at the future and he's describing that they were able to see up to a certain point but after that like they couldn't see anything there was like some event where after that all bets were off fuck yeah and he was like we're almost there or something you know what i mean like yeah it's crazy. okay so this, this is the kind of information that it is actually worth looking into conspiracy stuff for yes <clears throat> when you find results when you find like um things that inform you about how the world and consciousness actually work because you can intuit like or infer the way that they dealt with the results or that yeah it's there is value there it's just it's hard to not get caught up in the emotional justice that's what it is the justice aspect it gets you fired up it gets you yeah. emotional and that's fucking crazy if you think about social justice movement. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's fired up to, to do good. And that means their amygdala is fucking huge. Right. Well, and you know, if, if my desire to do good is fueled by resentment and fear, then I'm holding the one ring. Yeah. Yeah. And resentment and fear, that's, well, according to Master Yoda, that's one step from hate. Dude, I mean, I think that's death and not even yeah. like the cool kind, <laughs> like living, <laughs> like living death, walking death, you know? Yeah. So in this, Zombie. right, right. In this, this video where this guy's talking about that, he actually gives that as the reason why, like the, the plan of the elites has been fast forwarded, why they seem so desperate to do these things that they're doing is because they know that like well it's either they do like they know that um it's either just try it and fail but they just know that uh, um so I want to play it now I'm not describing it great like, like they know their days are numbered and that soon they won't be able to control anything. So they're trying to jam all the shit through as fast as they can, because why not? But it, that like rings true to me. Yeah. I don't know, but we know. Yeah, I, I definitely everything that's happened in the past two and a half years feels very rushed. Right. What's weird about it is it's rushed and it's sloppy. But it's working as well as it is. Yeah, no doubt. What did, uh, there was something else I wanted to, that you mentioned that made me think of. Mm, I lost it. <clears throat> I like leaving a moment of silence like that. Like when a natural one happens. That's that's like that's us combating the like let it happen. Yeah, and not forcing let, it. Let the people see the silence. I like it and it's it's definitely been the journey of doing this for me. Um
especially when I do this thing where I like can't finish a sentence. <laughs> but really, it's like when you're fishing for the right word, you know? Well, I, I find that anytime I have a two second delay between when I want to speak and when I actually do, I descend into a pit of terror where, yeah, yeah there's just like this swirling, like, like if the silence could speak, it would say like, why haven't you said it yet? Why aren't you saying anything? Right. What if the words don't come? And then it just gets angrier and louder. And it's like, <clears throat> uh, that voice, like if you, if you even like give it any attention, it becomes everything and it becomes hypnotizing. It's, yeah. it's fascinating because even when I'm comfortable, it's still there. It's just really quiet. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as the voice that, like the voice of the intuition or like it's probably the voice of the ancestors too. Like those are probably, I think really closely connected. Yes. Like the, and the voice of my body. And then there's like the shadow voice. And right. Like if I'm in fear and I'm like letting that kind of wash over me, it can get louder, but, Like, how do you, like, how do you be in relation to that? You know, that's really been on my mind constantly lately. Like since I started the podcast, it's been like, how do I, how do I live with this? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that I should have to, I actually think if I could afford it, I would just hire a shamanic healer because I'm almost positive that there's just something stuck like a knot yeah is uh causing the performance anxiety that makes that makes you self-reflect urgently when it comes time to to be um on display yeah and that almost definitely comes from some trauma yeah uh because some people don't have it some people are just fine yeah, some people are naturals and I feel like I used to like we were talking about before we started recording I used to be better at it when I was like all fucked up. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, and it wasn't just like I was fucked up. So I thought I was cool. It was like, it was like the whole town liked me. Yeah. You know? like, no, right. You know, well, at least all the people I cared about liking me did. Well, and, and go ahead. No, I was, I, <clears throat> and like being able to like play a show and look out and be like, who do I want to sleep with tonight? Yeah. <clears throat> like that was, I from my twenties and for a while, and it just not that that was a healthy thing, but like the confidence level was so high, right? And and it wasn't like necessarily all earned, and I think that's part of it. I think learning that I could be so sure of myself and still be a fucking mess in the end, and not actually know what I was doing or talking about most of the time. Now it 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 echoes in my head and it makes me feel like, uh, like what gives me the right to give anyone advice? What gives me the right to, to who, who, who the fuck am I to think anyone wants to hear about my life or my experiences? Because like I've read books that are smarter than anything I can say. And they're there, they're there for anyone to buy. So like all this is packed into that moment of terror. Yeah. That's getting in my own way too. Like I do the same exact thing. Like how am I going to help anybody? But that's actually, 
that's in my experience is like a form of selfishness because the grace that I've been given and the the absolute just like wonderful things that I've been able to experience through like a reconnection with spirit and a reconnection with like really my true self or like who I am and what I came here to do when the, when I am in that moment, I'm not always there. Right. But that is a grace that, that I know that there are people out there that just would fucking die for. And so me thinking like, Oh, like what can I do for someone? It's just, it's not, it's wrong. It's, (laughs) you know, no, when, when you can't reach your own state of grace that you know you're capable of, you know damn well you can do it, <clears throat> but you can't access it at that time for whatever reason. Yeah. And then you think about that, like, what other people would give for it, blah, blah, blah. Like, what does that make you feel when that happens? Does it make you feel better or does it make you feel more mm. not anxious about trying, like, like uh, guilted in, like, you have to do it because other people... Um, probably a mixed bag. I don't, but I don't think it's a guilty. It's not really a guilt thing. Yeah. When I, when I, I'm not able to reach that state of grace. I'm not able to access like I'm in the, like, I'm not in a place of gratitude, but if I like, you know what I mean? But if I, so if I, <laughs> this is going to be so like, whatever, dude, but like the, it's an absence of gratitude. And so when I can get back in the gratitude, then I'm back in it, but I can't see it. It's more of a not being able to see, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. And then it's a leap if you can't see. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's, the thing that's, is to me is just to keep, keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something it's, it's amazing how long it's taken me to learn to like, that my body just learns now that if I feel really bad, all I have to do is go like say some prayers and cleanse. Yeah. And like, just sometimes dude, right. Or like do something you enjoy doing or like saying prayers and cleansing is great. Cause it's intentional. And really for me, it's sometimes it's just, uh, and like I said, this is not always available to me. And when I'm really deep in that, then maybe like, I don't know, but Sometimes it's just enough to like not do anything. Like don't stop. Don't do anything right now. You know? I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in not doing things. Me too. And I think that that I have guilt for not doing things really is where most of my guilt comes. But that's like that Protestant bullshit. You know? I programmed myself with a lot of guilt, <clears throat> oddly enough, from reading Castaneda books when I was like uh late teen because this whole concept of like you're gonna die and your time is running out and there's an urgency to everything. <laughs> yeah. And I like I military militarily programmed like I MK altered myself into that I psyoped myself mm-hmm. into being guilty when I don't accomplish. And like you're wasting your life, like you're these right. minutes never. But um, I'm coming out of it now. But it is holy shit. It's been years, and I'm just now, like twenty years fucking later. Well, not twenty, but yeah, close. Long enough, um, right? 
<clears throat> yeah, close. Dude, and, the funny thing about it is that I wasn't actually getting anything done when I had that going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you look back on now and be like, man, that was good shit. Right. That's, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. The herbals. Yeah, it's like the only thing that doesn't bother my tummy. It's a it's a digestif, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I mean, once you get like half a bottle down, it's not so good for your digestion. Anymore. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think a really wonderful, like, I love the taste of it. And let me just say, if you're a witch or a wizard, don't sleep on the only booze with 56 herbs in it <laughs> that I know of. Yeah. And um, that deer is um, a St. Hubert thing, right? Is it? Yeah. he um, He's the patron saint of hunters. And he saw like he was a hunt. He was a hunter and he was out hunting and he saw a, a vision of a deer with a, like a shining cross between its antlers and he went into the priesthood and then he shot at it and it ended up being saints <laughs> and he shot at it and then like dragged it on the back of his truck and went through town <laughs> <laughs> with his truck just nuts like, hanging down just to let everybody else know the score <laughs> I we don't take friendly. that's funny that that even comes up because I actually had an encounter with a deer last night I'm kind of in the suburbs, but it's like a stone's throw from just like the country and like horse farms. And I think it's like old Cherokee nation. I need to look into that because I was reading some about it and I'm like, oh shit, that's a big deal. If so, um, mm. but so I, there was a deer on the front lawn here and it was like maybe 10, 15 feet away from me last night. And there was like a thunder, like a, a lightning storm, like a silent lightning storm going on overhead. And I just went outside and was just like staring into this deer's eyes. And it was like staring back at me. And I just like sat down and we just stared at each other for like, it's weird because I've even, a, I got closer to it to find a good spot to sit and it didn't run away. And we just like looked at each other for a while. That's so cool. Yeah. I had that happen with a rabbit once. <clears throat> oh yeah, dude. That's a, it was a like its eyes are full of something. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it was at my grandparents' house and I'd, I'd had dreams about rabbits a few times and we had some in the yard. <clears throat> um, I had a dream that I was like, there were like a bunch of rabbits down on the ground and somehow I was just like smushing my face down into them and like rubbing it in their fur and cuddling with them. And they loved it. Yeah. It was, and then it was within the next week. I like walked down to my little spot in the woods and on the trail, a rabbit popped out and just turned and looked at me and like, I just froze. And it was that feeling like, like, hold on, like all your internal monologue stops. And it's almost like, um, all the inside stuff told me to pay attention. Yeah. And I just stopped. Like we just stared at each other for a solid five, six minutes motionless and then hopped away. 
and and like they're normally very very scared of me but it was like such a special strange moment where we just we just stood there and absorbed the impression of one another yeah and there was no there was no thought or logic like the rabbit knew that i wasn't prey and i knew the rabbit wasn't prey so we were just two people being in the woods together for a minute and i think that there there was no more point to it than that for me um but that's special that's that's something we completely overlook so often is that those little impressions you get from animals like oh it's like they're making this that's usually your actual intuition picking up on what the animal is feeling and you just you just assume you're ascribing it these human tendencies or whatever but i think in a lot of cases we're really just like picking up on what the animal means oh that's an interesting take on anthropomorphism and i like it it's like well that makes me think of for some reason the images of half human half animal like the uh you know that cave painting i think it's the name they call it is like the magician even and it's like a it's like a person with like a deer's head or something or with antlers. It's it looks like Kearney nose or something, right? Huh. But it's like an ancient ancient cave painting. Well, I don't know it. Yeah, you should check it out. It's cool. Um Yeah, I don't know. It just made me think of that. Like that liminal space. It's like you're you're experiencing it and it's experiencing you. There's a connection, right? Like cuz it wasn't like I I've had animal I've had animal encounters where I did hear things that I was being told through that animal, you know? But this was just one where it was just like total silence with lightning overhead just staring like us staring at each other like you said two beings in the wilderness. And like, I almost had that thing where you ever have it where when you're focusing on something and everything around starts to get almost fuzzy. Yeah. It was like that. That's really. That's actually been like the beginning of some really weird meditations for me. Yeah. I know something's going on when that happens. That was one of the things I got from the Castaneda books when I was younger that was useful that never left me was he had this thing where he would put two rocks of the same size next to each other and then cross your eyes so they become the same rock. Oh, that's cool. And then you stare at it until that the side blurs and everything else disappears. And then you kind of zoom in on the thing and it becomes more texture and it becomes another world. Man, that's almost... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It just becomes like a gateway. That's almost like... I've done... I've activated sigils like that and I can't remember if I learned it somewhere or if it was just a natural thing. You know? So if I... Whatever. If I'm not giving credit, whoops. But where you kind of do the magic eye thing. Like you're staring at the sigil so long that it starts. This might be Gordon White, I think, where it starts to dance a little bit, and parts of it like disappear. Yeah, it's really yeah. That, that reminds me of that. 
I think that was Gordon's instruction. But now I'm thinking like I really want to draw the same sigil twice and set them side oh, by side. Yeah. Even on rocks would be cool. Yeah. That'd be fun. And then like I like when I've got certain like I had a Cyprian altar. And this was like kind of accidental, but like you know, accidental, right? Like, yeah, sure. But where the colors were perfect so that like the fabric that was on the cloth and then the gold of like the stat like parts of the statue and certain like the cross and things. So that if I stared at it long enough, it would almost become like this is a really weird way to describe it, but almost like staccato. Where like or like <laughs> I just almost wanted to call it Kentucky Fried. <laughs> but we're like, you know what I'm talking about? Where every <laughs> it's not blurry, but everything is like popping in a way, like the interplay of the colors. Like, I don't know, man. It, I don't know. I'm not gonna be able to describe it. <laughs> like, kind, of, kind of like when you when you get certain shades of red and blue next to each other. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what's going on here? Right. So like this, it was like kind of a faux velvet. So it had that kind of like shimmeriness to it. Anyway. Well, I definitely have that thing sometimes where if you get your altar set up right and you sit really still as you say your prayers or you meditate, it's almost like the suggestive shimmering of things and the light that you are receiving from the candlelight um, unfolds into a bigger scene. Yeah, like go ahead. Yeah, so it's like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you still have the real things that are actually tangibly physically in the room, but around them, almost like they are the seed that grows this other scene. Yeah. And um with Cyprian, that's often become a weird like church. Like a non it's like the same shape as a traditional European old ass church but there's like really weird things about it like coloring or mosaics or something like that and then sometimes also with his stuff too it becomes like sort of gothic too like and i mean gothic in the terms of like not like a gothic cathedral but like goth I, oh for really me, personally yeah 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 like it'll kind of have like it'll have that but then it'll have that sort of flavor to it oh that's fun um, yeah, everybody's, everybody's St. Cyprian is a little different. Everybody's spirits are different, you know, but it's like, yeah, my, my experience of Cyprian was, con- it was actually pretty confused for a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't know how to think of him. And it was once I stopped trying that he really started coming through. Um, and it's so much, it's like once I stopped putting that Yang active effort into connection, and I started just kind of relaxing more than getting out of my own way, essentially. Yeah. He kind of appears, yeah, definitely a little bit darker than he did before. Um, and not dark, like, not dark like bad or mischievous even. It's dark like I understand the darkness. And, yeah, right. And I'm not afraid of anything in that kind of way. Um, like I am part darkness, so I can help you navigate it. Right. Well, and that's cool. Like, so there is going to be an inherent, almost like 
intimidation factor to someone that the darkness holds no fear to them, right? Like they're going to have like some a kind of edge because Oh yeah. They've integrated that, right? Like another good example of that is Odin when he comes across. It's very much like, okay, this dude's walked there. Hmm. And it's kind of like on him a little bit. But then there's like he comes through in different ways. I think that's probably why he has like a thousand names, right? Like there's like Wanderer Odin, and then there's like King Odin, and then there's like Warrior Odin. You know, I think it's it's a worthwhile question to ask if there's just one shape shifting male spirit for the whole damn world. <laughs> like <laughs> that is a worthwhile I question. I don't think it is, but I think it's but a, it's a it's worthwhile a, question. At least, at least, um, there's some really fascinating stuff that happens. I mean, we you can't deny that like. Odin walked around a lot in this part of Europe. Um, but it's interesting when you get into like the, the more Gaulish stuff, because you get you get Dispater, which is probably not Odin, but you get um and Kernunos, I don't believe is as either. But one of the according, at least according to um Caesar, um one of the one of the most venerated gods in all throughout the tribes of Gaul that he experienced was um damn what's his name the one with three faces I don't know oh it sucks I can't think of his name and and he's supposed to be like um their version of Mercury like the the Greeks just called him Mercury um oh that's funny I feel like me not being able to remember his name right now is him being a trickster yeah, I dude, I was gonna say the same thing. Because I know it like very well and it's just not it's just escaping. There. Yeah. Well then there's also like the Aiden Walker thing, which is like there's many Odins. Which is also a worthwhile question. And I think any question is worthwhile as long as I'm not preloading it with the answer that I want. Yeah, and then being upset if someone and else then being upset when someone else disagrees, right? Or when I find <laughs> something that's different, you know? Oh, you believe something different than me? Well, I think that you should be destroyed because you are prepared. <laughs> right. And dude, that's just what's happening again in our society. And it really bums me out sometimes that we can't, that it's not as apparent as it is, but I guess that's the, that's the nefariousness of it. But like, when did it become not okay to question things? Well, because everything's already been decided. Yeah. Because that, ar- that archon has charted out every piece of the butterfly. And so this yeah. is a thorax, and this is an antennae, and this does that, and the thorax does this, but the antennae doesn't do that. And the wing is this, and it doesn't do that. A resting belief is like having a thousand like auto-replies set up in your email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. And you're never actually typing anything to anyone at all. And I'm free from having to do that. I'm free from that ickiness. Yes. Yes. But that's, I think, that's it. Right? There's fucking, there's some kind of people getting off and shirking the responsibility of having to deal with each individual fucking instance. Right. In context. <clears throat> like, if somebody says a word they don't like, it's usually pretty fucking obvious. 
if that's actually hate speech, or if that's just part of their culture, that that word means something different to them. Right. Or if it's just, you know, if it's an intentional trespass, that's part of things like comedy and a lot of art, you know, like sometimes to get, get across to someone, I have to like, you have to shake them, so to speak. Right. Yeah, I was going to say even even intentional transgression um, should be permitted in art because art is the safe space for that. Yeah, that's what it does. I think the problem is we've slowly allowed the definition of art to change into this um, into purely self-expression. Or even more like Man, it's almost like art has just become fan service. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Like, and the self-expression one definitely. And I think that, because there's like some expressions that I have that I know are not worth expressing. It's not all good, man. <laughs> like, well, and that's okay. Well, I, I can only say that for me, right? I can't say that for you. But I don't think that's the problem necessarily. I think no, but I think the problem with art becoming self-expression rather than exploration or uh, just this wide-eyed wonder <clears throat> is that. So, if art is purely self-expression, then if you write something, mm. you're exploring in that. You're. So, like, let me say, let's say that I'm my my relationship with violence and how I feel about violence. And I want to write something to, like, really, like, understand it. And I don't even know what I'm writing until I'm done with it. And then I put that out there. People go read that and they go, this is his self-expression. This is telling us what his politics and his moral character truly are. Right. And that assumption is the devil. Yeah, right. I see what you're saying. They it's always conflated. I, I see what you're saying with self-expression now. I, I get it now that you you gave that example. It's always an ad hominem. It's always that it that we learned it in I learned it in school at least. I don't know what they're teaching nowadays and I don't mean to say that like an old man, but I just don't. Um but the idea that you know the artist is not the art like that was something that we learned that you don't do those ad hominem critiques. Like right. if I, you know, like, and, but it also got me thinking too, if art is only self-expression, then, you know, what we're talking about with Tolkien, where he was actually, actually going there, that gets cut off because that's just Tolkien's self-expression. He wasn't going to a real place. It's just another arconic prophylactic over the arconic prophylaxis, man. Yes, and uh, uh, over the whole imaginal, and that's really like, okay, who's doing it? I don't, I don't know. Who's at the top echelon of that op? I don't know. But what I can say is that there is something going on with like disconnecting us from the imaginal. What I, what I, another thing I can say is that I think you and I are two people that are both completely and fully committed 
to doing the exact opposite of what that fucking thing, whatever it is, wants of us. Right. Like, like in that, <clears throat> that's the key is if you're studying the conspiracy stuff, <clears throat> do it so that you can know your enemy. Yeah. But, but only in a way that you can seesaw that so that you can, like, if you think that separation is good, then I'm going to be connected. Fuck you. Yeah. So there's this, this sense of like counterintelligence, but only, only if you can put that into action, only if it's actionable. Beautiful. Yeah. Don't become Gollum. Like if I sit in a cave and stare at the one ring, I become Gollum. Oh my God. That's perfect. Yes. Because, oh my God, hunched over staring at your phone. People look like fucking Gollum at the coffee shop. Yeah. And it, dude, at restaurants, when you see a family all staring at their phones and not talking. Yep. It's, Which, by the way, you don't see that in Denmark. Not ever. Wonderful. It's like a social taboo to pull your phone out if you are spending time with other people. Beautiful. That sounds like the kind of place. Like, Because I practice that. And it's like, you know. So, yeah, there would be a difference between me practicing that and then being self-righteous about it. As opposed to me just practicing like attraction, like practicing it for the sake of attraction. Like I'm just, I'm going to be what I am. And because I think that like you're talking about, like doing the opposite of, of what that archon wants is being who you are. It's being your true self. It's doing what you came here to do. And, but I can't like the moment I'm doing that for someone else. I've lost. Right. Right. The moment and I'm doing that to elicit a response in you, I've lost. I can only do it with myself as the origin point and just dancing, dancing my dance and enjoying that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that, that really is it. It's like <clears throat> those moments when you, you've been on like tripping or at a festival or with a group of people and you've lost, you've lost all of that sense of like how am i looking from the corner of the room yeah it's dead in those moments those are the best moments of our lives those are the moments we remember yeah that's where life is that's that's life that's being human yeah uh, this has been great man yeah really i just got a notice that my phone is uh Low on battery, but I can go plug it in. Well, I was going to say that's like uh, we can do either. That's a really good stopping point. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Why why force it? Dude, well, we're going to do this some more, so I'm not worried about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'll come back on anytime you ask. And uh, I'm so excited to have you on our show. Dude, I'm excited too, man. It's been great talking to you. It's been so good. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Hey, thanks for coming on. We'll see you next time. (laughs) I'll be honest, I was having sort of a bummer of a day before we had this conversation, and it really lifted my spirits. Talking with people who are able to be open and honest, not only about their dreams, struggles, and fears, but also throwing caution to the wind and letting that freak flag fly, is a breath of fresh air in a superficial age. Not only that, but it's left me with some things to jaw on. A good conversation has a way of unfolding as the ideas sort of take root, and eventually they bear fruit. 
For more from the Reverend, follow him on Twitter at Rev Janglebones. Visit his website at www.reverendjanglebones.com. And also remember to listen and subscribe to his and Kurt's podcast at rss.com forward slash podcasts forward slash the soapbox. Again, that's rss.com forward slash podcasts forward slash the soapbox. I'll see you all next week. Until then, I gotta fly.